Joining me this week on District Divided is a Redskins diehard, he's an analyst as well, and he's a friend of mine, Kadeen Wiggins. But this time, we're not going to be talking about the Washington Redskins. There's a time and place for sports, and that is not right now. There are much, much bigger things going on in the world, and that's what we're here to discuss. Kadeen, how are you doing? I'm hanging in there, man. I, I really do appreciate you uh, asking me to be a part of the podcast, as always, and I thought it was a really good idea that you're... Uh, taking a break from the sports thing just to talk about some of the uh, other things that really, really matter. And I mean, especially on a topic that kind of overlaps with a lot of sports in the third degree, it's just good to keep everybody kind of well-informed. Uh, I, I appreciate you giving this platform, man. It's awesome. I mean, there's no better person to give the platform to, in my opinion. You're very well-spoken. Your ability to put various thoughts together and have it flow into a story is excellent. So honestly, man, no better person to have on right now. So why don't we just quickly get into a quick overview of what's happened, you know, because the last two weeks have been an absolute whirlwind of activity and, you know, we'll, we'll, let's just let's just get into it. So there have been protests over the death of George Floyd in Minnesota on May 25th with police officer Derek Chauvin taking his life by putting his knee on his neck for at least eight minutes. I think it was eight minutes, 45 seconds, something along those yeah. lines. In the two weeks since, there have been worldwide protests, not just nationwide protests, but worldwide protests, some rioting and lots of police brutality through those, well, peaceful protests. Kadeen, this is more than it being about George Floyd, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's one of those things where you talk about like that powder keg moment or the straw that broke the camel's back, whatever platitude or anything you want to use to describe it. But it's just um, like a lot of people ask like why, how we got to this point, right? Like, um, it, yeah, it's rest in peace, George Floyd, first and foremost, right? But I think that just seeing that video kind of kind of took everybody to another level because there's a lot of built up just frustration and anger that has been there, depending on who you talk to. I mean, when it comes to black people, we've had this frustration and anger with those, just the way that things have been for hundreds of years. And I might get in a little bit more about that. But if you look at just where we are in general as a society right now, I mean, we're still in the midst of a pandemic. In the, the last three months, everybody's sort of been stuck at home. On top of that, you add on to the fact that we are at record numbers as far as unemployment. It's just a lot of people are just upset and they, a lot of people just have a lot of pent up energy. And um, when you, especially in the black community, you see the numbers that are coming out as far as the pandemic and you see what communities are being the most affected by it. And then you add on top of that, you have situations like the Ahmad Arbery situation that happened back in February, where you had uh, those gentlemen, I'm sure everybody's aware of that story, but you had those gentlemen out at home, not be not behind bars and not in handcuffs for months. And we're all at home kind of soaking in all this information. The video comes out as far as that stuff, that stuff goes. And you just, there, there, this is anger, it just builds up. And then you, you, you have the George Floyd situation happen. And it's like, I, I just can't take anymore. You just, you, you got to push some sort of release on that valve. And I know speaking on behalf of myself, and I think a lot of other frustrated black people, is that especially in today's climate with who's in the White House, which I don't, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of people who are a fan of him either. It's over the last few years, we've reached this crucial point where there are people that have been dismissive of the issues and the problems that plague the black community. And um, they, they've been more vocal in their dismissiveness recently. If you take it to a sports element, you, you see what happened as far as the Colin Kaepernick situation uh, four years back. And uh, you, you see what he was trying to draw light to. And they changed the entire argument to be that he hated America or what have you. And that side of the country has been more vocal than ever. And it's been extremely frustrating that you have these people being dismissive of these issues when every time they pop up, they then tell us, oh, well, that was messed up. But, you know, that doesn't speak to anything bigger. And it's like, what other examples do you need to really understand and to comprehend what it is that's going on, why it is we're upset? And you, you can only be dismissed, but so long, right? Like you, you, you go back in history and you see just forever the, the amount of demonstrations and the amount of protests, the amount of times we've been trying to get people to look at things like this. And we, we always kind of get pacified. They promise they're going to make changes and then nothing ever happens. Um, you can watch tons of movies. One of my favorite movies is Do the Right Thing, made in 1989. If you watch that movie today, it touches on every single issue 
still plaguing us. And you look and you see, okay, nothing has really been done about it. So you just reach this point where like enough is enough. We can't do this anymore. We have to look at the entire system. We have to look at everything that's led us up to this point and we have to change it. But the first thing that comes, and I think that a lot of people are trying to get to is you just have to listen, listen to us now. In a 12-step program, the first step is always to acknowledge you have a problem. That is all right now, right? We, we, we're just acknowledging the fact that racism exists, and this is what it does. That's, all, that's, all, that's the only place we're at. It's a hard place to get to, right? Because you spent, we spent hundreds of years trying to not talk about it, but now we're here. And it, it becomes that moment where we're not going to – nobody's going to shut up anymore about it. We are going to take this the entire way. I mean, it's a really good point because – well, everything you had mentioned in that intro is an excellent point. But this was the first time, I think, and the situation sort of was, and I hate to say the word perfect because of the situation, but everything sort of fell into place for this because, number one, starting with the incident, there have been other, you know, killings that have occurred where you go, okay, well, maybe the officer did X, Y, and Z. Maybe he was okay or she was okay in this situation. But... There was no doubt. I mean, absolutely no doubt that this was just a murder. For eight minutes and 46 seconds to have someone, I mean, just to have your knee on somebody else's neck, they're screaming for their mom, they're saying, I can't breathe with whatever little oxygen they have left. It's abundantly clear what has occurred. Now, you talk about that pent up energy. We have no sports. We have no ability to go to bars, restaurants, things like that, nationwide, worldwide with COVID. And because no sports, honestly, that's my bubble, if I'm being perfectly honest. You know, I would have been really hurt by it, but then I would have, you know, moved on after maybe a week or something like that, or even a few days because the Warriors and the Grizzlies are playing or something like that. It's, It's really silly when you think about it, but it's true. And because that hasn't been the case and because Twitter is where it is today, this magnified and amplified, and I'm so glad it did because we're beginning to see a lot of changes. And it starts with Black Lives Matter. And they do, folks, just in case you were still on the fence about that. You know, this really is just a human rights issue. Let's start there. Forget the other racial income inequality, for example. There are many, many other inequalities, but let's just start with black lives are equal to any other race. It's the human race that we're talking about. But talking about Black Lives Matter, what is the main message, Kadeen? Because as you said, people tend to spin messages around. So what is the main message of Black Lives Matter? So Black Lives Matter is, it's hard to describe as anything other than maybe a movement, right? So I think when you listen to certain news organizations, they might look at Black Lives Matter as like this big time organization that has this like hierarchy and structure. And they're like this monolith or what you've been watching on Fox News in the last 24 hours. They're almost calling them a political party. But Black Lives Matters is basically the, the tenets of that. It could be a hashtag. It could be a feeling. It could be a thought. But what it also is, um, is four years ago, especially after what happened in Ferguson, I think it was Michael Brown. And after the string of other videos that we saw, which are, you were just bringing up the, uh, the, the, the how cold it was to see the, the, the George Floyd video, I even countered to say that we saw pretty much the exact same thing happen with George Floyd that happened with Eric Garner years back, right? But the lack of distractions allow you not to turn the page to sports or something else as easily, right? Um, but coming out of Ferguson, there was just a, the, there was that seething that sort of happened again, where it was over time, black people have talked about things that have happened especially in their interactions when it comes to police. Racism as a whole, but especially in those interactions that we have with police. And it wasn't until fairly recently that everyone then has a high-res camera in their pockets that they carry around, and it's become more prevalent to see the issues actually happen, as well as the, uh, the, the body cameras and things like that. So Black Lives Matter kind of started in a sense of exactly what you said, is just an acknowledgement that Black Lives Matters too. Um, the fact that we even are still at a point where we have to debate the the terminology is ridiculous to me. Um, but there you go. People that don't want to change can do whatever they want to do as far as not listening to certain things. But what the, the, the basic tenet of the basic idea is that to, Black Lives Matter is supposed to be a loose organizational movement. People really looking at the local level to intervene 
um, when violence or inequalities inflicted on black communities, whether it be by the state or whether it be by vigilantes or whoever. Um, that, that's the basic tenor of the idea. Um, the, the, the goal, I think, in mind is um, when you talk to a few people that consider themselves part of that movement would be to create a world free of anti-blackness where every black person has the social, economic and political power to thrive. I would think that that is that is where the movement is going to go. But it's just a way to get people to actually take a look and to acknowledge, even in that short statement, that Black Lives Matter, that in order for that statement to carry weight, you also know that there's an alternative where there are people that do not believe that Black Lives Matter. So we have to at least get to that point where everyone can agree on that part of it, and then we can move on from there. And that Black Lives Matter in a nutshell would be that. And I mean, they're also, you know, I, I guess people will say that Black Lives Matter, but they're also saying that all lives matter too. And to those people, I'd say, yes, of course, all lives matter. We're just saying Black Lives Matter as well. That's it. Because all that you're seeing from a pr police brutality standpoint are the innocent killings more often than not of black people. This is what it's about. It's primarily, primarily about police brutality here. So that's what really... It's about, so the all lives matter thing always just sort of irritated me from that perspective. Yes, of course, all lives matter. We're just including black lives as well. That's it. <laughs> it's bullshit contrarianism is what it is. It's people that hear something and they want to hold on to their notions of BS. That's what it is. All lives matter is, you'd be an idiot to think that everyone doesn't believe that all lives matter. It goes without saying, but, what, but the fact that there are people crying out that black lives matter, basically you can say black lives matter too at the end of the damn statement, right? To get people to understand like what it is we're talking about. There are, you, you have a sect of the population that is screaming that we do not feel under any circumstances, that we have the receipts to back it up, that our lives do not matter as much as other people. That's why you have situations like the Ahmad Arbery situation where you've got three guys that hunt down a lyncher boy, lyncher man, and they're walking around and having dinner with their families at home. You can have a police officer put his knee in someone's neck for eight minute, eight plus minutes and still go home to be with his family. Under no circumstances should that ever be the case. But time and time again, if it's a black life that's getting snuffed out, society at large just gives a little less of a shit about it. And that's where we're at. It's just, Jesus, just, just listen to us. Attempt to show empathy. You see people are so cut off from that because they don't want to feel uncomfortable or to feel as though they have any say in the matter, that they have to respond in some other way instead of just facing it. It's cowardly. If you say all lives matter, I look at you as a coward because I know what you're trying to do. It's not to put out any sort of kumbaya all lives matter moment. No, it's to directly, course, it's directly correlated to us saying black lives matter. You're trying to be dismissive once again. It pisses me off. It doesn't just annoy me. It makes me angry. Yeah, and it should, because uh, those are just attention-seeking people at the end of the day. And I think you actually brought up an incredible point, which is just, if you had added two at the end of Black Lives Matter, there's no way All Lives Matter could exist. And if it does, then you've got the definitive racist there. And then you go into this, but that's the thing, the semantics, right? It's like they can never just understand the message. They have to go to the semantics of things instead of trying to listen to the message, because they want to find the easiest possible way to dismiss your argument. That's all they're doing. They're looking for the, it's, I went to debate camps. I did debate all through high school. I was, I got a scholarship to do it in college. I know what it's like to look for that opening and try to rip a hole in another person's argument. That's all they're doing. That's all they're doing. They're looking for the easiest, the, the easiest possible fruit to do so. And it's was ridiculous. It, was it a uh, Liberty debate camp? Was that right? Liberty University? Yeah, I don't necessarily want to be attached to that university right now, but yeah, Liberty <laughs> University is where. I just remember from our Anthony, uh, or rather Antonio Gandhi Golden coverage um, yep. <laughs> that we had that shout out last time. Yep, Liberty yep. University. Uh, <laughs> once again, I'm kind of not necessarily going into details about my relationship with Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, totally fine. And now, so switching gears for a moment, or rather just pushing the envelope a bit further, there have been calls and cries to quote unquote defund the police. And a lot of people have been freaked out by that because they're yeah. thinking maybe it means no more police and maybe it does you're about to enlighten us on that so what does it mean because does it mean what it sounds like 
would there be a situation where there are no police or is are the funds just being reduced and then going elsewhere what does defund the police mean because i think there seems to be and i saw a couple different polls where 16 percent of people and it was a big poll you know want to genuinely defund the police and i think yeah. it's just spread a lot of panic and i want you to either quell that or hey stoke it up but at least have us understand i'll be the first one to say it's gonna sound mean as shit I'm not really in a place to make white people feel okay about things right now. I'm okay with y'all feeling a little uncomfortable right now. Get a little, get a little slab or taste of what we've experienced. I'll, I'll get out of my black radical moment for a second. Um, defund the police, like I was just saying about messaging, right? Um, defund the police on a surface level does cause panic and alarm for people. And I understand why that would be. The idea or the concept that you'd wake up tomorrow and the police would not exist inside your community does not at all seem like something that people would necessarily want to be a part of. What Defund the Police is supposed to really do is open up the conversation on what it is that we're doing when it comes to policing in America. It's to have an overall conversation as far as right now, if you were to look at a lot of these municipalities across the country, the amount of money that's put into policing has really created a situation in which people right now look at everything and say, the system's broken, Right. And I counter that in saying the system's not broken at all. The system's working exactly the way it's supposed to work. It's the fact that the system itself is something that we need to go back to the drawing board on. There needs to be another system in place. And defunding the police is supposed to kind of awaken, awaken people to that. Now, I could go into detail. It would take it would be an hour-long podcast at a minimum, just as far as the the, the, the history of policing in America and the African-American community. If you really want a good idea on exactly where that history entails, I would suggest anybody pick up the book by Michelle Alexander, um, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration, The Age of Color Bondness. It, it draws a lot of, it, it can teach you a lot as far as all the way back during the times of slavery, how you had those groups of the posse of guys that were there to collect runaway slaves and how it is over the years, even when slaves gained their, gained their, um, gained their freedom, they still systematically, through policing, kept, as even they say, you, you can get quotes from it, keep those Negroes in line. And they did that for years, right? So um, even when you look at like the Ku Klux Klan, the way the Ku Klux Klan first came to be was that they thought that all the freed slaves were going to go and rape and pillage all the white people out of retribution and revenge. That's why the Klan first existed. And a lot of those Klan members are your first bastions of police forces. But once again, I don't want to get too deep as far as the uh, history goes. But it, I think a lot of people would be enlightened if they were to find that stuff out. But when you look at that systematically as far as seeing where it started and what's happened over time, there need to be a bit of a change in the way that we look at policing or how it is that it, how it is how it is that it works inside our communities. Right now, we rely on the police for so much. You see situations where there are stray dogs in certain neighborhoods. They call the cops. Um, if there's a uh, the big one is the mental health uh, a mental health uh, crisis calls. I saw a statistic it was like two hundred thousand calls of the NYPD for mental health crises. Now I don't know about you, but I've seen more than one video of you've got a guy who's going through something heavy mentally, and he's got a knife to his throat or a gun to his head, and the cops kill him. What was the point? Right. Why, why did the cops respond if the guy was just going to end up dead? You, you have the cops responding to things that they are not trained to handle. We usually treat situations where it's just throw cops at the situation. Just throw cops at it. Oh, we got a problem with this. Just throw cops at it. The cops will handle this. The cops will handle that. And there really needs to be a look fundamentally on, OK, maybe this is not the way to handle things. Like I, I, I do ride along. I, up until last year, I was doing ride alongs with the Baltimore Police Department up here. Reason I did it was that I wanted to get a good idea, especially in the years after Freddie Gray and the riots that happened up here, is to try to figure out exactly what was going on in the police force and also to get an idea for myself and to see for myself what was happening or what was going on. One of the first officers I rode with, he he explained something to me that I think on a surface level doesn't seem that crazy, but I don't think it's something that we we talk about or we think about a lot. And I asked them, they were talking about the, the, the shortage of offices that they had in Baltimore. And I asked them, well, do you, do you think that if we get more offices here in Baltimore, like the crime rate is going to go down? He looked me dead in my eyes. He said, hell no. What are you talking about? I said, what do you mean? He's like, we don't stop crime. We, we show up afterwards. Like we're the deterrent in the sense that if you do something, we'll arrest you. But we don't stop you from doing it. The stuff happens anyway. 
And when he said that, I'm like, okay, I get it conceptually, but the like the idea, kind of, but, but the more that I looked at, I'm like, you got to really look at the issues at hand. What causes a lot of the violence that happens in these in in these certain areas? It's not lack of police. It's lack of certain opportunities. It's uh, it's knowing or realizing that a lot of stuff that they say are ours in our community isn't ours. You have nothing to lose. If you don't have a house in a community that you own or your family owns, you don't really have a stake or a say. If you don't have a business inside a community, you don't have a stake or a say. The, the game has changed. Me looking at it and saying, do I want to go through high school and then try to figure out how it is I'm going to pay for college all while my family's struggling to put food on the table or go out in the corner and possibly hustle and do whatever it is I need to do to make ends meet right now. It looks like a legitimate option, especially when you look overall and you're seeing a lot of people dropping. There's there's not a lot of hope and there's not anything to lose. So you take your chance. You got to solve this, those issues. If you solve those issues, you don't need the cops. You don't need them because there's less of those issues that happen. But we continue to throw police at a lot of issues where we don't necessarily need to do it. And we're doing it in ways in which you don't need to do it. Like if you look across the country in a lot of the areas in which a lot of the rioting happening, what I tell people to look at is look at the response of the police to the protests in the first place. The ones where you have majority of the rioting are the ones where the cops showed up and all of their military gear that they got after the war in Afghanistan and the war in Iraq, the government needed to sell off all that military equipment. So they're giving all these officers these uh, – you can look at some of these officers across the country in these protests. It looked like they could get dropped in the middle of Baghdad, and they have enough equipment to take on al-Qaeda themselves, right? Like they're, the, the money that's being spent to militarize these guys and to create this tough guy persona or show, it gets violence. So when you show up, when a cop shows up and they have a gun and they have all their equipment, you've already escalated the stakes, especially if they're coming in that confrontational sort of mode. A lot of the protests, the things that have gone kind of violent are in direct response to the cops showing up violently. All those towns where you see the cops walking hand in hand with the protesters, take a look at the looting and the rioting. Barely happens, right? There's just a way that we do policing in this country, which is we throw money at it, get them better equipment to go ahead and fight these wars as warriors, and it doesn't help anybody at all. And this is why the defund the police is supposed to have that conversation as far as Okay, if we are spending money on these police for, police organizations, why are we spending the money on them instead of using that money to funnel into more productive ways to actually fix the root of these issues so we need less of them? Or if we are paying the police, how about we do it in a way that doesn't beget more violence or creates a different sort of way that they look at handling things, and then we go from there? So once again, it all has to do with messaging. But like we see even with Black Lives Matter— the moment that you're on the other side and you want to find out a way to dismiss somebody's argument, you don't look deeper. You just take it at surface level. You say, F that, right? Defund the police right now is now the new dog whistle. That's what everybody on the other side is saying. Oh, they just want lawlessness or this, that, and the other. No, it's supposed to create the conversation. And a lot of people aren't getting past that. And those are the people that I'm seeing are being willfully ignorant and will be left behind. Because if you can't look deeper than that surface level, I got nothing for you. That is probably one of the smartest answers I've heard to anything. Um, I had also because that is something I had never actually thought of that we use the police seemingly as a band aid, like a you know any situation, throw the police at it. I think that's yeah. a really good point. And then when you talk about the systemic racism, because the system is broken, think of it this way: black people make up about thirteen percent of the population in the United States today. Yep. But if you look at the incarceration rates, black people are at about, well, and this is just black males, I believe, and I need to mm -hmm. double check this, but they are certainly the highest percentage out of anybody else. And I think it's around 40%. So that just, the math doesn't make sense, right? I'm it not did. saying go incarcerate more white people just to get the numbers even. I'm not saying that, but just clearly it's a sign that the system is broken, right? That's the thing. It's just, it's the, and that's where I go back to, is the system broken or is the system just wrong, right? Like, I live in Baltimore. Yes, there's a shortage as far as police officers. But sure enough, if you live in this city, the cops will not hesitate to throw them bracelets on you if they're in the back of them wearing wagons, okay? We, we have police here. But it, doesn't, but it doesn't stop the actual crimes that happen here in this city. So you have certain people here in the city that are trying to work on the root of these issues. There's a long list of things that I think that could be better suited for the police. 
instead of instead of all these hours of training that they give them on firearms, how about more classes on um, de-escalation of things? How about the fact that I remember as a kid, I went to school in D.C. My middle school was Hardy Middle School, Wisconsin Avenue in D.C. Across the street near the Safeway, there was the Jell-O Police Boys and Girls Club. Now, notice anytime you see the Boys and Girls Club, that police part of it's off of it, right? It used to be the police, they would they would spend the money and they would take the time from the police department to actually have officers coach kids in the community so that they built that bond of trust. If you have a kid who comes up that has their coaches and has their role models be police officers, and you have those officers actually have a rooting interest in those children, you might have done more as far as the relations between police and people than you could do anywhere. And they've killed all those things. No, let's give them more tear gas. Let's give them more guns. Let's give them more training as far as this. But let's remove the other aspect that actually can help things. Then if you have those kids grow up realizing that, oh man, maybe a police officer is something that I would want to do to protect my community. You get that buy-in, right? Or if they see something wrong, they might be able to talk to police as far as certain things and getting to the root of certain issues as far as stopping certain crimes from happening. It, it changes your thought process. But no, what we do is we throw more money at the violent aspect of things instead of looking at the root cause issues. And it's huge that we need to have these conversations. We need to have those, we need to have the police that are with the community on things. And we also need to hold them accountable, which is another thing as far as the money goes. And shoot, I could go into a tirade as far as the police unions, Jesus Christ. But um, it's, there's just so many. There's, there's so, like, the more I talk about it, the more you just realize, like, in my head, how many things are just wrong. How many things we just don't have the right way of looking at it. And it's just so aggravating that we're, we're so hard-headed in the way that we deal with things in this country. We're just so hard-headed on it. So aggravating. Yeah, and you know, that's a part of being human, right? Is mistakes are going to be made. But the but the thing that I think makes humans great is the ability to recognize that a, there is a problem that exists and being able to change his or her behavior or our behavior as a whole to fix the issue. And we have the opportunity to do that here. And speaking of that, how can people, and, and this could be you know a bit of a tough question, and I'm sure yeah. many people have reached out to you and asked you this question, but here it goes anyway. How can yeah. people, and I'm talking about non-black people here, who can never truly understand what it's like to be black in this country, how can we help? What can we do for you, Kadeem? That is a question that I've probably got asked more than anything else over the last two weeks, especially with like the videos that I've posted online where I've clearly taken my stance as far as my belief on things. Um, a lot of people that, that, that I know love me want to have some sort of way in which they can help out in some sort of capacity. Sometimes they're, they're doing a little too much. Um, sometimes they're not doing enough. It is kind of hard to get that, like that Goldilocks zone right for it. But what I would tell people right now is even in the statement that you made just a few seconds ago, I'm not calling you out or anything, but it's that thought process that what makes humans great are the ability to take an information and really change or do what have you to, to, to create something new or to, to acknowledge their mistakes or their shortcomings and they come and they come back. Would say, yeah, in theory, that is completely accurate. But as a black man in America, I know that I've experienced enough in my life and I've heard enough from my father, my father's father, to know that as much as this has been an issue, a lot of people have not changed a goddamn thing. And it's kind of hard pressed right now as a black guy that we've heard some of these things before. We've heard people say, oh, man, this is messed up. We should really do something about it. And a few months later, we go right back to watching basketball and shit, and it just goes back to the way it was, right? So there is a sort of cynicism that we have. So before I even give any advice, I would say to non-Black people, you have to excuse us in our cynicism because we've seen a lot of some of this, we've seen some of this stuff before, and it still didn't really mean change. And there are a lot of people out there trying to put messages and stuff out, and they just ring hollow. Like, I don't know, I saw Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer wearing kente cloths, and it rubbed me the wrong way as I think it should have rubbed everyone the wrong way, right? It's that those hollow sort of, okay, yeah, we're allies. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing, right? But what I would tell white people more, or not just white people, non-black people, do your research, do your history, 
when you realize that we've been saying these things for basically hundreds of years, I think people gloss over that or they don't really understand what that means. So there are a lot, I think Vox, BuzzFeed, everybody has listed documentaries that you can watch um, to really get a good understanding of just what the history of black people in America are and what we've had to suffer through. I, I grew up in the DC public school system. I can tell you, if it wasn't for a couple of the AP classes I took in high school, there's a large swath of history that I, I know that I wouldn't have learned about. And I know across the country, just knowing the diversity of DCPS, there's a large chunk of people that have no idea. They don't know. They might know the I Have a Dream speech from Dr. Martin Luther King, but they don't know anything about the letters from Birmingham. Like they, they know the hit, but they don't know he had a other, whole other catalog of hits. He gave the I Have a Dream speech, I'm not saying, in 1963. He lived another five years. You think that was the last speech he gave? That was the last thing he ever thought about? No. Even look at where he was when he was when he was murdered, when he was assassinated and what he was trying to work on and how far he had to go. I've had um, a couple of my uh, friends who aren't black. I've had them watch things like uh, Malcolm X and their minds have been completely blown because they didn't know the story. They might have heard that uh, Malcolm X, just some anti-Semite, this, that and the other. And then you come away from that being, oh, my God, I was so wrong. I had no idea. Or reading or watching things on Netflix like the 13th, about the 13th Amendment. Or like the book that I talked about earlier, The New Jim Crow. Read the autobiography of Malcolm X. Read some James Baldwin. Read Native Son. Anything to get a better understanding of where it is we're coming from. Because what we want more than anything is empathy and a, and, and a platform and not to be dismissed. So if you can use your platform to get Black voices out and to try to get that to have some sort of personalized effect on you, that's where I want is the history and the research done. I need I need non-black people to have a firm understanding of where it is that things are wrong. And you have to look at history to figure out where they're wrong systematically in order for us to fix it. Remember, first step of that 12 steps is acknowledging we have a problem. But what do you do with that information? And how do you really acknowledge you have a problem? It's one thing to just say we have a problem, but why? How? You have to do the digging, you have to do the research. So do that and just have empathy. Do your research and have empathy and listen. We need people to listen more than they need to talk. I've had white people ask me what it is they should post on Facebook. I'm like, I don't want to tell you what you should fucking post on Facebook. Like, what? 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 So, but I've had people that actually post on Facebook that I appreciate it from white. Like, there's a white friend that I have, female that lives in Boston. And when everything went down, the first thing she said was, hey, all I know is this. I think what happened to George Floyd was messed up. I can acknowledge that I, as a white woman, I cannot say firsthand that I've ever experienced any racism or anything, but I'm listening to my black friends. I don't know what to say right now. I don't, but I want to listen and I want to learn. And she's been giving updates on what she's learned. She's been sharing facts and things about what she's learned. And she's been helping as far as uh, supporting black businesses and uh, holding others accountable. That's another huge thing that non-black people can do is that I think enough years have gone by where people like me have tried to yell at people that don't agree with us to listen, and they haven't. We've shown that their, their, their ears are turned off. But when you go home to Thanksgiving and you've got your uncle that says some sideways crap about the black grocery store you saw, check them on it, right? When you start seeing uh, business owners talk about all lives matter and that look at these savages out here on the street, check them on it. Don't give them your business. Let other people know. Out these people, let them understand and let them know that this is not the way things are going to be anymore. I'm tired of yelling. I need other people to try to do some of the yelling for me, but I'd say do the yelling to your own people, to your family and your friends, and just educate yourself. And I think uh, the American population as a whole is very, very good at watching things. So we can certainly do that and reading right, books. Just, instead, of watching reading office, again. instead of watching The Office, turn on Malcolm X. You can do it. You can do it. You've seen that episode. You know what happened with Jim and Pam. You already know. You get it. I get it's a safe show. But put something else on. Just try. Perfect. Yeah, that that is very doable. And then, like you said, it's it's educating ourselves and making sure that we understand how and why we got here as part of that 12-step program. And I applaud your friend in Boston who is also giving updates. So that's proof that she's putting in the work and the effort and supporting black businesses. That's another great way to do it because, again, there is racial income inequality as well. The average amount that a black family will make versus a white family is $30,000 less. 
That's absurd. Yeah, I know the skin I, color doesn't demand less. It makes no sense. That's the thing is that I, I always like the, the net worth stay, uh, viewpoint is that you look at like the average net worth of a white family in America. It's $130,000. Net worth can include property, right? So that can include your car, your house, what have you. The net worth for, black, for an African-American family in America is $19,000. You can't do anything with that. You don't own anything. That's you can't live or expect to really have any stake in anything there on that. That's why, like this entire situation, what makes me ramble on and on in the sense that there's so many issues that the way I really try to picture like the 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 tackling of these issues is like two big things. There's the police issue, police brutality and the way the policing works in the country. And then there's racism. It just so happens a lot of times those things overlap. Right. Um, They overlap a lot more than we ever need them to. But I think if we look at these two things as far as how to tackle the racism issue, that'll go into the income inequality and the way that we can really start tackling that. It's how it is that we can start tackling the biases that we have within ourselves and how it is you have that logical conversation within yourself to to not use that bias to inform your decisions. And then we also have just what it is we have to do with the police and how it is we have to solve the over-policing and how it is that we're going to solve things like the brutality issues. And how we have to look at how those things overlap as far as using those biases that you have when it comes to racism. And if you're a police officer, it makes it that much worse. They're two separate issues at hand. And we have to kind of look at them and to put real world practices and real world policy changes to really solve both of them. Don't think because we defund the police that racism gets solved, right? And don't think because racism gets solved that it doesn't stop. I mean, I've been watching the news the same way that everybody else is. You see the 75-year-old white man in Buffalo getting dropped and having blood come out of his ears. It wasn't a black guy. There are police brutality goes beyond just the race because it's beyond black. It just so happens because of the racial issues, we do suffer at a, at a, at a larger percentile than, than, than you would have as far as your non-black counterparts. But we have to look at them as two issues that we have to tackle. It, 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 you got to look at things in a manageable way. It gives you a hope that you can actually confront and to take things on. Stop looking at them so big and so grandiose. We, we can, there, there are real world things we can do to tackle both of them. And that income inequality part of it is probably one of the biggest factors when it comes to the racial issues in the country. Yeah, I mean, again, like your very first point stated, if your net worth gap between races is over a hundred thousand dollars and the lower end is nineteen thousand dollars and you're wondering why african americans are angry i mean come on man come on especially when they the the when they burnt down the target in the auto zone it pissed me off so much to hear people yelling about that because i'm like i don't know any black people that own auto zone and target i know they pay people barely above minimum wage to go work in their stores and i don't know about you but i can't shop at target because it's too damn expensive and I make more than $25,000 a year. So it's like, what are they burning down? Is it really ours? Is it our community? I know they got tax breaks for building those companies inside the area. So how can they really even be a part of the community as far as just what it is they're making off of the community? They're getting labor from the community. I'm, look at the profit margin. Uh, somebody posted something. I, I have to look at it myself. But somebody posted this question the other day. And it, it, it messed my head up. And it might be a controversial thing to say. But they said to go back and take a look at the profit margins of plantation owners in the South. They still had to pay for the slaves. The slaves weren't cheap. Now, fast forward to 2020 and like take a look at some of these big corporations and watch you take a look at the profit margins there. See who actually made it out and if slavery is gone. <sighs> well, yeah, like you said, there are a lot of problems. There are a lot of problems and we're just beginning to shed light on a bunch of them. So this is, these are historic times, frankly. And let's see how we can push forward, you know, in the coming months because in the coming weeks, even it's, it's a very immediate thing and change can happen so quickly. So I'm looking forward to seeing what can happen. But Kadeen, let's let's speak on a more personal note here. If you will, you've been raised in this country as a black man. Is there and this is if you're comfortable with it. Is there any one experience or, you know, moment that you would like to share where you have been discriminated against? So I think a lot of people think it's almost like a movie, right? Like, remember the Titans, like diner scene. Or like, there's this big moment where you, oh my God, racism exists and I realize it now. And um, 
it's never like that. It's a lot of little micro moments that you start realizing there's an uncomfortability that you have. And then it kind of balloons out of that. And there are some situations that end up being bigger than others. It's just when you notice when you're growing up that certain things are different and they could always be, they could go from really, really simple things that just seem on the surface level, oh, that's not that bad. But it weighs a toll on you. From the time that I used to be an insurance uh, salesperson and you, it was all over the phone. And the amount of times that I heard, what are you? You speak too well to be black. That stuff matters. It's just that it 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 pings. It it messes with your head. To going on a college campus and you got the white girl that'll tell her tell you she only messes around with black guys. And it's like, okay, while that might be okay in this short term that I'm I'm getting into, what is up with the mental picture that you like? There there is a there's a distinct sort of racism when it comes to shit like that. There's a the conversation my dad had with me is when I was a little kid, as far as what happens if the cops knock on the door, make sure that they show you a warrant or when the cops pull you over to make sure they can see your hands at all times. I grew up with a lot of white friends. I know their parents didn't have that conversation with them. It goes to the, the, the more egregious situations. I remember being in the car, being in the Toyota Camry in a cornfield and this uh, white dude, they were the first, it was like the first black guy they hung out with. He turned around at me. And he thought it was perfectly fine to say this. He turned around and said, Kadeen, you were so much fun for a nigger. And I look back and I'm like, what in the world? He had no idea. Now, I'm in the middle of a cornfield, Monty, so I, I waited to talk to him about it because I didn't feel like getting left behind or hung up on some costs or some shit. But I, I, it's like those moments. And it goes all the way to Walbrook Junction here in Baltimore getting thrown up a wall, thrown up against the wall when I was 15 because the plainclothes cops jumped out and they wanted to search everybody in the mall. I've had cops' guns pressed against the back of my head. I've had every uh, so many times where I get pulled over for a minor traffic violation. I mean, I like to speed. Um, I've had, I remember the time I got pulled over for having one of my two tag lights out. And then the car, the, it just escalated from there. Well, can we search your car? No, you can't search my car. Well, why can't we search your car? And now all of a sudden I'm sitting on the side of the, uh, side of the uh, sidewalk with them threatening to bring the canine unit to sniff around my car. And I know that if it was my white counterpart, they wouldn't, it would have never gotten to that situation. So it just, it ebbs and flows just in daily life. And there's this stress that you have. It just weighs on you. I'm a firm believer that PTSD in the African-American community, if we actually were to go to diagnose it, would be off the chain. There would be unlike anything you've ever seen. If you look at the areas in which we come from and the death that we see from people that are just as young as us, from family members, you know, people who lose a grandmother and they need to take a month off of work just to get their mind right. No, we got to keep at it. We got to keep going. It's the same thing I saw even with the pandemic. The essential workers, I live in D.C. I know what the, I know what the demographics are as far as most of those grocery store workers and delivery drivers. I know why the numbers are getting so high. And what do they do? They keep telling us to just keep at it. Stop complaining and keep going. Stop complaining and keep going. You almost feel guilty that you feel anything, that you feel guilty to even try to draw attention to anything because they make it seem as though you're just complaining. But no, you see the shit all day, every day. It weighs on you. I remember when the mask thing first came out with the pandemic, my first thought process was somebody going to fucking shoot me because they think I'm going to rob this store. Because I know all the all the signs on all these rest on all these stores in the Seven Elevens in Baltimore a few months ago was no mask allowed because they thought you were about to rob the place. Don Cheadle even put it on Instagram. He's like, "Y'all want us to wear these? Are you kidding me?" There's a constant weight that just is on you. It's this monkey. It's this pressure that's just there, and every once in a while you just see it bubble up to the surface, and it happens a lot more often than people think it does. But it doesn't happen in those big movie moments all the time. But trust me, I got to show enough of many of those stories too. But it's it's mainly just the way it weighs on you throughout your entire life. You, you feel like you just can't get away from it. It feels as though it just encloses and encapsulates you. Like you want to get out of the house to, to walk around the block. And the first thing I think about is Ahmaud Arbery. I can't even walk around my house. I live in Baltimore where they're known for knocking down with no no knock warrants and having incorrect information like Breonna Taylor. If somebody barges into my house, I'm a Second Amendment lover. I 
if somebody barges into my house, I, I, I might want to defend myself. What if, they're, what if they're 10 policemen? I could be laying in my bed and through no fault of my own, be dead and they feel as though they're justified. As you see, the officers have still not been arrested for Breonna Taylor's murder. So where am I safe? I never feel it. I never feel safe. I don't feel safe in my home. I don't feel safe in my car. You, we just want a break, man. We just, all we want is a break. And the fact that we're still begging for people to acknowledge that we matter, the shit weighs on you. It breaks you. I'm just lucky enough that I have a loving family that taught me that therapy was a good thing to go to. But I could jiggle around. I could make fucking percussion music with the amount of pills I have in these bottles, man. Just trying to make it through the day. And that's that's the shit that doesn't get talked about in that way. And we, we're happy that people are finally getting to a point where they acknowledge it. But Jesus, it's it's a lot. I remember my 26th birthday, my dad called me. I lived in Virginia. My dad called me up to the house. He said, I need, I need to see you. And I said, okay. And I got into the house and he poured me a shot. I said, what is this for? He's like, you turned 26 last week. I want to congratulate you that you're not dead and you haven't been thrown in jail. And I said, that is something to celebrate. We should never have to be in this position where we celebrate that shit. But it happens. Well, Thank you for opening up and, you know, sharing that vulnerability with me and with the listeners. And I just, I really, really appreciate that. It's very brave of you and honest of you as well. So thank you for that. And I'm so, it's not, I mean, it's me, it's everybody else. I don't know, I'm sort of speechless. Um, let's move forward then. What, what is the end goal here? The end goal is for, kind of piggybacking on what it is that I just said, is for my safety to be a reality. I can understand if the anxiety and the PTSD or whatever that I'm going through still has these phantom thoughts of happening, but I need the realness of them to stop. And I think that that's what we are striving for right now. Um, there are a lot of campaigns, there are a lot of movements happening, some better than others. I think everybody's kind of looking to see that unified voice that we kind of go behind. Um, whether it be when um, the Obama Foundation had that uh, conference last week where they were going over some of the changes that like Eric Holder and or the investigation like Eric Holder put together um, in trying to do data driven policy changes. It's like reviewing that sort of stuff. It's looking at things like the zero campaign and what they're doing as far as uh, uh, what it is they need to do as far as police policing. I love what they've done as far as they've opened it up for people to uh to put their own ideas on there. It started out with eight, now it's at 10, and I love what I'm seeing on there. I still don't even think it goes far enough, but like I've been working on a list with um, lawyers in the community, and I've been talking to people that uh, have been down there protesting. I was just down in DC to meet up with some people to just go over what the next steps are. Um, right now, there's a lot of energy, and it's good, and it's really nice to see. I'm really hoping COVID does us a solid and doesn't really mess us up with the amount of people that are outside. I got a bad feeling about it, but we need to take all this energy we have right now, which is really a worldwide thing, which is what's so different to me right now is that even looking over, and I know my history, I've never seen it become this worldwide movement. Seeing John Boyega in London um, just letting African-Americans know that we're not alone was just a moment for me. Um, but we have to take this, we have to take this energy and we have to funnel it into actual policy changes. It first is getting everybody, you know, it's getting everybody informed, but it goes back to what I was talking about as far as the history goes um, to, to, to learn. And then outside of that, it's getting people to understand what power they already wield um, and, and utilizing it. So we know voting is vastly important. And I know for a lot of people, it feels as though regardless of who we vote for, the problems are still the same, but we have the opportunity to really hold politicians accountable now that we're you look online, there are people that really are believing in this thing and we're not going to let certain things slide. So it's getting out there and voting in your local elections. It's knowing that you have say in the city council and the mayor who appoint certain police chiefs 
and their policies. It's knowing that we need cops to stand up too and realize that some of these places they are, the police unions have gotten completely out of control. And the only way the police unions exist is if you pay your dues to them. So kind of looking at things like that. If, what are we going to do to actually affect change now? Um, the pandemic is also, like I said, the pandemic has been very illuminating to me as far as looking at cogs of the way this system itself works and what's important. And I'm starting to get in the place where I want it to be articulated what will happen if we don't get what we want. And it's um, it, whether it be voting people out, but also I'm at a point where I might start calling for general strikes because I know that looking at the way the country was running during the pandemic, they still had essential workers. And my thought was that when I saw all the essential workers basically being forced to go to work, because if they decided not to, they got fired and they couldn't even get unemployment. My thought was that what if every single one of those so-called essential workers didn't show up for work? They'd have to come to the table. They'd have to figure out ways in which they would change things. So I think we need to figure out ways to utilize our power that we already have to cause change. And we have to know that we're not going to stop. It's not going to stop. Um, I, I try to tell people that uh, I was born in 1989. Dr. Martin Luther King died in 68. He was still marching. He was still protesting. In 68, if you were to talk to anybody that was around him during the civil rights era, they, they would tell you they were never really scared of protesting in the South, in Alabama, which, which, which shocks a lot of people. What they were most scared of was the North. They might protest in Alabama, there'd be 100 KKK members there. Like, all right, it's to be expected. But when they were fighting for equal housing rights in places like Chicago, and 10,000 people would show up and be angry and violent, there's an idea that we have in this country that like racism exists, but it's only like this Southern Billy Bob, redneck, hillbilly sort of thing. And it's not that. And 1968 is not that long ago. Those people didn't just die off. Those people just didn't have a change of heart. They had kids. They taught them things. They might not have been as overt as they were back then. They might be a little more subtle. But we have to realize that this issue is everywhere. And it's not going to be six months worth of stuff that, okay, we're all back to where we need to be. This is going to be a generational thing. This cannot leave our consciousness. We have to continue to work at it. And my favorite line that I live by right now is that I will not be pacified by bullshit. Wear as many kente cloths as you want to. As long as if we don't have actual change happen, this shit isn't over. Makes sense to me. Read you loud and clear. And from this conversation, there's a lot I didn't know. And there's a lot of listening and learning that I need to do still. And I know many, many others do as well. Kadeen Wiggins, thank you so much for being on the show, for your friendship, for your brutal honesty today. It means so much to me. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you for allowing me to just, there's a lot of stuff that kind of weighs on me. And like, I spent the last two days kind of being more radio silent because I just need these moments to kind of take for myself. But it's always good to get kind of back into it, especially when I feel as though the conversation is a productive one. So thank you for always providing a productive platform to really get ideas and the good thoughts out. I appreciate everything you're doing. I'm at, I consider you a brother, man. And um, yeah, we're just keep up the good fight and keep on doing what you're doing. I love what you're doing and it's important. Thank you. Thank you. This is District Divided, folks. Have a blessed day and stay safe.